This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here, as usual, to help you become a better investor. And to accomplish this, we're going to mix in some educational and actionable material. And of course, your contributions in the form of your questions and comments are always important and a vital part of the mix on today's show because you drive the conversation. We'll talk about the markets and run down some show topics, but right now we're going to head to our first caller question at 888-99-SHARK. I was calling today about Footlocker, ticker FL. They reported today, of course, they missed earnings, but they also, they cut their dividend. And I kind of thought that was a good move, but they got down to like 30%. I was kind of wondering, is, did the market kind of overreact, or what is your opinion on uh, the stock? Thanks for your help. Bye-bye. All right, looking at Foot Locker, and the answer is simply no, I don't think the market overreacted. Usually when markets cut the dividend, or sorry, businesses cut the dividend, that knocks out a bunch of investors who are chasing that dividend. This is, this is a good example. Before the, let's see, it was, at, it was trading at around 24, now it's at 16 so before the earnings, the dividend yield was closer to, uh, let's say, 6 or 7%. Now, backwards looking, if they were to continue the dividend as before, it would be about 9.6%. Uh, and so it just shows you that those above average high dividend payers oftentimes are very high risk. And that's the issue here with Foot Locker is that they have a lot of debt and their business is up and down and all over the place. They were making decent money pre-pandemic, and then uh, they had some issues with Nike. Nike pulled some product. I know they, they, they put some product back in, but I don't think it's the same mix as before. And so Nike's trying to sell more direct-to-consumer and with better margins than to the retailers like Foot Locker. And ultimately, Foot Locker just isn't a very, in a very good position. It doesn't have a lot of bargaining power. It's reliant on the brand's that it carries and the success of those brands and the demand for those brands. And that's the real issue here. So it's down for a good reason. And I wouldn't be stepping in front of this. The technicals, as you would imagine, being down, I think it was 32% yesterday. Or no, actually, sorry, this was today. Oh, wow. I, I thought this was the day before yesterday. Yeah, Foot Locker today was down 28%. There we go. Uh, after earnings. And... I think that's an all-time low. Let's take a look here. Let me zoom out to a monthly chart. Yeah, not all-time low, but the lowest level since 2012. So all the gains since 2012, it ran in 2012 from these levels around $15 per share all the way to a high of about $78 per share back in 2017. And really since then, its technicals have been terrible. A series of lower highs and lower lows. And this was precipitated by a huge drop in May, June, July, August, September, and October 
of 2017. So six months in a row, just powered down all the way from new all-time highs, just skyrocketing all the way down to the 200-month moving average around $30 per share. So in six months, it went from $77 to $30 per share. When you have that powerful of a move, the market is telling you that their business is structurally, there's a structural problem here. And that has just continued over the past six years or so. And you can see that with their, their earnings trajectory. And their debt, they have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet, about $450 million of long-term debt on their balance sheet, near an all-time high, and a market cap of only $1.5 billion. So I'm passing on Foot Locker. There's much better retailers doing much better. Just look at a couple of the retailers that have focused on homeware, home goods. One of them had big earnings today. It was up 15%. I can't say which one it was, but we own that first of our managed accounts. Uh, and they're doing much better than these businesses that are once again are reliant on other brands. And I don't like that. So uh, I definitely would pass on Foot Locker. Now, keep in mind that today, as always, we'll be providing some useful data and unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. So we have a lot to cover over the next about 45 minutes. That's how much time is left in the show. And time permitting, we're going to get to a lot of topics. Now, my main focus point is on is value investing as cheap as it's ever been? And we're going to look at some historical ratios between the most expensive stocks in the market versus the cheapest stocks in the market. So we're going to look at that. Also, what are real rates and why are they important for the economy, the markets, etc.? So we're going to look at that. Also, you'll be surprised to know that lease signings for office space are actually up so far this year. But there's a negative to the data that I also want to dig into and give you kind of an update. As yesterday, I gave you an update on the retail side of commercial real estate and how that's actually been better than most people have been expecting. Whereas office continues to be weak, but there are pockets of strength, and I'll tell you what that is overall and some broader trends within that space. And then lastly, why rates are likely to stay higher for longer. So those are things that are on my mind. We're also going to get some voice bank questions in regards to Pathword Financial as well as Shopify. And now let's talk about the market today. It was a decidedly up day, and it was... You know, what was on the back of I'm not sure. AMC was down 23%. Peloton was down 22%. Foot Locker, as we said, was down 28%. So certainly some big movers to the downside, but some big moves to the upside as well for certain parts of the market, especially the growth side, uh, which was, uh, and that was because rates were down pretty nicely today. And you know, could this be a sign of what is being discussed at Jackson Hole? Remember, we have the speech by Jerome Powell day after tomorrow. That will certainly move markets. And we had NVIDIA after hours. That was up on the news. But we'll see once the market opens tomorrow how that ultimately reacts. But uh, I, I said we're in a crucial time to see if the market can break below these major support levels on the S&P right around the 4,300 level. We tested about 4,330 or so, and we've bounced so far, but we're still below the 50-day moving average, which means 
this could still roll over, uh, we'll get, once again, some big reactions to the market over the next couple of days and into next week. And that will be important to see which direction the market takes going into Labor Day holiday. And once we get past that, if we don't break down in a, in a, in a big way, uh, I think we could be headed higher in late September. All right. Now, have you heard about the Invest Talk classroom series? It's free over on our YouTube channel. Episode four is up right now. It's, it's on the Deferred Sales Trust or the DST. And it's a legal time-tested option to help business and real estate owners sell assets and defer capital gains at the same time. Say so maybe you don't want to stay in that business. You don't want to be a real estate owner anymore. You want more passive income. Well, we talk about it over on our YouTube channel. Just search Invest Talk Classroom. And now my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart. Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets. And we only have an hour here and, and sometimes... The way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things. The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday. Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting. These have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each InvestTalk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. I was just wondering, I, I took some profits back in December, January, February, and have been sitting on maybe 30, 35% of my portfolio in cash and was just wondering when do you think would be the best time to consider putting that back into the market? Should I be slowly doing that now? Should I wait till later in the summer? Just whatever advice you can give me on that, I would appreciate. Thank you. Well, when to get back in the markets, uh, you know, I don't think it's, it's hard to time the market. And this is why you don't just go all cash. And so many people are, are scarred by the financial crisis and COVID crisis and, and that volatility. And they let emotions drive their decision making. This is what we talk about all the time. And it's, you rarely want to take these black and white decisions of cash or all invested. Oftentimes you want to keep a little bit of dry powder, sometimes a little higher than, than, than most. Uh, a month ago I was saying on air, you know, you, you probably want to be trimming positions. You want to be taking a little bit of profits. Doesn't mean you go to cash because a modest pullback could be all that it is. 
And on that pullback, you hit support like we did just a few days ago, late last week. Then you put a little bit more, a little, little bit of that cash to work. Not knowing whether that's the ultimate bottom. It very well could be. Very well could be. You don't know. It's all about the liquidity dynamics in the market. Are they going to continue to be modestly improving since they have since last fall? Or will the issuance of longer dated treasuries pull enough dollars out of the system to shrink liquidity more dramatically? We're likely to see that over the next couple of weeks. And those dynamics tend to feed on each other as well. Higher volatility begets higher volatility and vice versa. Higher volatility, bad for asset markets. Lower volatility, good for asset markets. So I think we are in a period where probably through next year, it's going to be relatively good for asset prices because we're going to be headed more towards looser monetary policy, better liquidity than we will tight policy. And you saw that, you know, last year when interest rates moved up so dramatically, but since the fall, interest rates have been within a range and we haven't had that strong of an uptrend. And that's kept liquidity pretty decent. And it will probably be in that trading range for a while until there's an understanding of what the long-term trajectory of inflation and monetary policy will be. There's a lot up in the air right now on both of those fronts. But most likely we're not the, the Fed's not going to raise another raise the Fed funds rate another 500 basis points over the next year or so, right? We just had that. Could they raise one more time? Maybe one more after that? Maybe, probably not, but maybe. And so the trends now are for looser policy. So are you going to wait for that ultimate what is that ultimate bottom? It's about finding good opportunities. So I would say you've had a pullback. Put a little money to work. Pull out your watch list. Find what makes sense for you, your risk tolerance level, the economic backdrop that we're in, the sectors that are outperforming, okay? So I can't tell you exact timing. That's up to you. And you have to pay attention to liquidity and don't get freaked out by the market pulling back. That's opportunity for you. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream on a or on AM twelve twenty radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now and talk to me live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, we sometimes receive InvestTalk questions via the web, and this one came in from Mike in Texas. He said, I called a couple of weeks back regarding our house, ticker A-R-H-S. This week, they announced they'd be a, there'd be a second offering of their Class A stock, 
And reading the presses and news articles, our house will not be benefiting from the 12 million shares sold. It's Freeman and Spogli, Spogli and company will be selling 12 million shares and will receive all the proceeds from that sale. Is this a common practice by companies? What does that mean for a parent company such as our house who have their shares sold on the secondary market? Is this bullish, bearish, or no difference? Why would a company agree to this? The momentum or the moment, the moment this announcement was made, the price of our house stock decreased almost 15%. Now, the long answer is it shouldn't make any difference long term because these aren't new shares being sold. There's about 140 million shares outstanding. So 12 million shares is a little less than 10%, but over the 5% threshold that needs to be announced of you know a large shareholder. And so and when uh, some a shareholder of this size wants to sell their position, they need to do so pretty much privately. They need to go to an investment bank and they'll arrange the sale as opposed to dumping them all in the market. And that can have a, a very adverse impact on the stock price. Now, this did as well because it was trading around 12 and the sale was around 10. So that's often the case when you're selling a large amount of shares. You have to take a bit of a discount on those shares. And they just did so right around 10 bucks, And that's why the stock has fallen. Now, the good news is it's not diluting you, the shareholder. It just means there's 12 million shares out there uh, being traded. And those could be, right? That, those could be shares that come on the markets being actively traded, or it might be in a, someone else that holds them for a long period of time. Ultimately, I don't think this has a, a long-term bearing on the business or you, the shareholder, but near term, obviously it's going to weigh on the stock price. But I like the question, this question because this does happen from time to time and you need to know how to interpret this type of sale. And in this case, it's, this is something that's relatively natural, especially because it's a recent IPO. It only IPO'd back in 2021 the end of 2021. So this is hasn't even been trading for three years. And so they just want to, you know, get rid of it. Maybe it's because they need to pay off debts. Maybe they have other issues within their, their portfolio of assets they need to uh, get liquidity on. So there could be a lot of reasons why they've sold this amount of shares. All right. Now my focus point looks in the story behind this question is value investing as cheap as it's ever been. And you know, it's pretty interesting that a lot of people are talking about recession. And if you're, you know, 40-ish years old or, or, or younger, you've seen two major recessions. And both of them were kind of anomalies. One was a financial crisis and the other was a pandemic outbreak. But if you go back in history, recessions are typically more mild. In fact, last year, we actually had arguably a technical recession in the first half. First quarter was down. There's debate whether the second quarter was down or not. So that's why I haven't officially called it a recession. But by the time you know you're in recession, you're already on your way out of it. And so what's happened this year really is markets trying to price in this recession that's probably coming, but once again, probably mild, and most of it's probably priced in. 
And what's different about our economy now is that most of the time when you have a quote unquote recession, it's the lower rungs of income that tend to have the most problem problems. And they also have the highest marginal propensity to spend or not to spend, which means if they get laid off, that has a larger impact on spending overall in the economy. Suppose if you have a lot of money, you retire early or you get laid off, you still have money. Your lifestyle is not really changing a whole lot and your spending habits aren't changing a whole lot. But if you don't have a lot of money and then you get laid off, your spending habits change dramatically. So unskilled labor is actually doing very well. Real wages are actually increasing much strong, much stronger than the rest of the working population. So this is a very unusual, I guess, pre-recessionary environment, if you want to call it that. And so a lot of, a lot of investors are using previous playbooks and saying, well, this is how recessions will impact these sectors. When in reality, it probably won't be just like that. Now, if you look at the highest P multiple stocks in the S&P 500, so the top 50 versus the bottom 50 P multiple stocks, typically that ratio is about four times. So the top 50 has, a, if, if top 50 has a multiple of say 40 times earnings and the bottom 50 have a multiple times of 10, that's four times, that's typical. Right now the ratio is about six to seven times. And that's 60% bigger than the average over the last 30 years. Now, it's not as high as it was in the, in the, in the internet bubble of uh, 2000, right? That, then it was about 10 times. So this isn't the most historically undervalued, most historically undervalued value market, um, but it's still pretty cheap compared to history. Right? Now we're heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say... You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off 
now at rosettastone.com slash today. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this question. Is the consumer still in control of the economy, even with rising debt levels, higher interest rates, resumption of student loan payments, and inflation? The economic data seems to show little sign of significant consumer distress. So we're going to dig into the data tomorrow. But let's pivot to the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart Hey, Justin and Steve, how's it going? I just wanted to give you guys a call and, and thank you for uh, all that you guys do. I'm a fellow financial advisor and a longtime listener and uh, just, yeah, really love the show. So question about Shopify. I know it's a growth stock and I obviously understand the trend towards value. What is a good entry point? Do you guys own any Shopify in your portfolios and how you guys feel about the stock long term? Thanks for everything. Look to hear your answer on the podcast. Uh, we don't own Shopify, and it's had a pretty rough month so far, a pretty bearish month, actually, if you look at uh, a monthly chart. And it hit resistance right here around the $70 mark, and it's fallen back to about 56 and change, even after being up the last few days to close. Uh, let's see, our low was around 52. So it is went from 52 to 56 and change in the last just four days. Uh, but right still below the 100-day the the moving average, and... The technicals are certainly weakening the MACD below the, the zero line. And if you look at its earnings, it's only supposed to make 50 cents this year. That's 100 times multiple. Even if you go by 78 cent expected earnings next year, you're still looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 times forward looking. Now, the good thing uh, with Shopify is they don't have any debt on their balance sheet. In fact, they have a lot of cash, net cash on their balance sheet. So that's good. But even if you base it on that enterprise value to EBITDA based on forward EBITDA expectations is a hundred times still very, very expensive. And what do they keep doing? They keep issuing more and more shares each and every month, basically. Now it's slowed down as of late, but it's still going higher. So, you know, I like the idea of Shopify and at a certain point, it would probably be worthwhile, but it's probably much closer to those lows from last fall around uh, in the low 20s than anywhere near here. So I think in the teens, this is something to be looking at. I'll pay, you know, mid 20s multiple for this name. Absolutely. But that means it has to maintain its earnings growth and get down into Low 20s at worst and hopefully into the teens, and that would be an interesting buy point for Shopify. All right, thanks for the call. Let's talk about real rates, real rates. And this is a very important concept to understand about economies and markets. And most people focus simply on what are the rates in the economy, right? What's the mortgage rate? What's the rate I'm getting on my savings account? What's the rate I'm getting on my investment accounts, etc.? But that's not what it's all about. Investing and putting money to work is about keeping up with inflation and hopefully then some. And when real rates, meaning the rate you're getting on savings minus 
the inflation rate. When that is positive, that means you're getting out ahead. You're outpacing inflation while not taking pretty much any risk. And when that happens, money tends to flow out of risk assets. So higher real yields means people take money out. Look look what's happened over the past year or so. What have people been doing? Putting records amount of money into money market funds. Why? Because the real yield now is positive. Right? Inflation as of July is 3.2%. The 10-year treasuries at 4.3, short-term treasuries are at five and a quarter, five and a half. So depending on what you're looking at, real rates are positive two to three percent. And that is good for savers. When real yields are very low or negative, that's bad for savers. Meaning, you're earning, this wasn't long ago, right? Two, three years ago, inflation was three, four percent. And you were getting next to nothing in your savings account, in your money market accounts. You were lucky to get 1% on a CD. So real rates then were negative. And what did people do? They took money out of those savings vehicles and they put it into meme stocks and crypto. And now that's reversed to some degree. Now it's not a straight line. It's, it's, it ebbs and it flows still. But the general direction tends to be that money flows out of risk assets and into safer assets. When, ye- when, po- when there are positive real yields in the economy and markets and vice versa. Now, who doesn't benefit from positive real yields? Well, businesses, banks. Why is that? Well, because the cost of capital is higher than the growth, the general growth of earnings. And so margins get squeezed. In general, obviously different companies can diverge, et cetera. But in general, cost of capital is higher than the overall growth of the business and prices in the economy. So that's why higher real yields tends to be bad for earnings and companies and once again, risk assets and economic growth. And this happened in 2000. There was a big move higher in real rates. And something ended up breaking. And that's what always happens when rates move up. When the Fed raises rates, they get to high enough positive real rates for a long period, long enough period of time and something breaks. Now, real yields are not going to stay 2 to 3% for a long period of time. It's very unlikely. Two things could happen. The Fed could cut rates if inflation and inflation could stay static. Or you can even have inflation rise and rates stay where they're at. And now you have negative real rates, right? You can keep rates right now at 5, 5.5%. Five inflation surges back to 6. Suddenly, rates are negative. And that's actually positive for risk assets. Okay, So it's important to understand where rates are today compared to inflation and make that calculation. 
All right. So I wanted to bring that up because real rates are vital to understanding the environment that we're in. Let's grab another voice bank question from 888-989-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Uh, thanks for everything you do. Really enjoy the show. I wanted to ask about Target. What do you think its its prospects are at these levels compared to its competition, Walmart? Uh, do we think it's going to go back up to the to the previous uh, levels? It looks to be a, mo- a little bit more profitable than Walmart in terms of price to earnings ratio. But given the current political environment it found itself in, where do you think it's going to head from here? Do you think it's still a worthwhile investment uh, to acquire some? Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, looking at Target, and this is a company that surged during the pandemic. It was an uptrend, nice uptrend before the pandemic, and obviously people splurged on physical goods. And that's reversed and then some. Earnings pre-pandemic around $6 per share. Went up to $13.56 in 2022. 2023, full fiscal year, supposed to be $6.02, and then seven sixty-two. dollars next year's fiscal earnings, but that is those, those future projections are being downgraded. And I don't like that. And the technicals are very poor relative strength at 16. And I don't know where the next support level is probably closer to 90. It's at 123 right now. That's probably the next support level around $90 per share. So that's honestly, we're probably where it's headed. Obviously, there's political issues. They're having some, a lot of issues with theft, just product walking out the door, whether that's because of local laws or employees stealing stuff. That's an issue. Now, Target generally long-term tends to be pretty well-run. It does. Uh, it's good, good management team. They pick good brands. People love going to Target. So I do think this is a name that should be on everyone's radar because of the historical profitability, but the technicals are just too poor to ignore and you don't want to get in front of it. So I'm going to pass on target for now. Keep on your watch list, put an alert around 90. Hey, this gets to 90, maybe call it 95. That's where you might want to think about reassessing target, but not yet. Now we're moving through quickly through the third quarter, and Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we are in this new market regime, and serious investors need to adjust to higher interest rates, higher nominal growth. And that means a different market regime, different trends in the markets than most people are used to. So if you need help understanding where you're at in context, you can set up a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. And you can do that by heading over to investtalk.com or give our KPP financial office in Irvine, California a call. Our number is 800-557-5461. Just a short conversation can go a long way. So the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized for this environment. Now, this is Invest Talk, now with more than 55 million downloads in our history. Thanks to you, and we're going to keep things moving and play another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, my name is Chris. I'm from New York, calling in about Bank of America, ticker BAC. I heard they're going to hike their dividend to 9% come end of the month. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on the stock as well as the banking sector. I currently hold a little more than a half position. 
So I wanted to see if I should be adding at these levels to get in before that dividend or be holding. Thank you, and I'll be listening on the podcast. Bye. Well, I don't think they're raising their dividend to 9%. You probably misheard. They might be raising their dividend 9% from where it's at today. Uh, I'd have to look at the reports here. But it's very unlikely they're going to go from, it looks like a forward-looking earnings yield of about 3.3%, backwards-looking about 2.3%. So yeah, they're, they're, they're raising their dividend going forward, but it's not 9%. And as I keep saying over and over and over again, this isn't about, investing is not about the dividend. It's about the underlying business. And right now, Bank of America is not doing so hot along with the whole banking sector. So now they're large and they're going to be able to maneuver in a challenging environment better than most. So probably in the top five of banks that you would want to own in this environment. But I just don't love banking overall. You've talked about the downgrades of the banking sector by Fitch and S&P and thus the ultimate downgrades of the largest banks like Bank of America and JP Morgan. So the technicals are poor. And I would not be adding to Bank of America. Okay. Thanks for the call. Let's talk about commercial office space. Now, the good news for the office market, and there's not a lot of good news these days, is that lease signings are up year over year. However, the bad news is that the average new lease size is considerably smaller than it had been before because companies need less work space. Because more and more companies are embracing hybrid strategies and letting employees work from home two, three days a week. So firms need less space and they're signing deals still longer terms, 15 years, but for fewer square feet. U.S. businesses sign new leases for an estimated 97.5 million square feet in total. That's up from 57.4 million square feet in the second quarter, which is the low point of the pandemic. So it's up. But the average office lease size was only 3,275 square feet, 19% less than the average lease size from 2015 to 2019, pre-pandemic, about 20% less. And more than half of the leases signed before 2020 have yet to expire, which means that office vacancies are still likely to head higher. Right now, they're at about 13.2%, up from 9.5% pre-pandemic. And CoStar, a, a leading commercial real estate analytics firm, they're estimating that by 2026, that vacancy rate is going to go to 17%. And small and large businesses are renewing with less space, especially when they change locations. Consulting firm Aon, they reduced their square footage in Chicago to 300,000 square feet from 400,000 square feet. IBM leased 320,000 square feet in Austin, Texas, less than half of what it used on the previous lease. So they cut their space by more than half. And then certain companies are just changing the allocation of space for workers. Floor, for example, one of the largest engineering and construction firm, they cut its office space by 70% in the Houston area because they no longer assign cubicles to employees who work on the road. Currently, 61% of U.S. companies allow employees to work part-time 
or all of the uh, or all the week. That's up from 51% at the beginning of the year. So it's it's not going the other way. And the number of companies requiring workers to be in office full-time has gone down from 49% at the beginning of the year to 39% now. And as the older companies die off and new companies are started, more of those companies are going to be hybrid or fully remote. And some analysts think that a decade from now, only 15% of companies will have employees full-time in office. So some good near-term news, but the long-term trajectory in the office market still remains pretty dire. Now we're heading into our final break. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal, as usual, is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. When our work continues after this final break at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Yeah, hello, Steve and Justin. My name's David from Portland. I was just going to ask you what your take is on United States Steel ticker symbol X. I just bought it to share. Thank you very much. I listen to your podcast all the time. Thank you. Well, hopefully you bought it before this recent bid and they're being bought out by Cleveland Cliffs. It was down today because there looked like there may have been a competing offer by Smark. However, they pulled their offer of $35 per share today and the stock was down accordingly to $31.32. Now, the buyout is still for about $32.53. You're talking 4% higher than it is today, but obviously that bid could fall out and it's going to take some time. Probably a couple of quarters, maybe more for the deal to finally close. So, I would take your money and, and move on. I don't see there's not much more upside. There's obviously downside if the deal does fall fall apart. And the one potential bidder that seemed to might seem to be able to get the stock price higher in a buyout just stepped aside. And the United Steelworkers Union is actually supporting Cleveland Cliffs in this offer. So that's why S Mark pulled out. So I would just sell it. And frankly, move on. Now let's talk a little bit about why the higher the, the the neutral rate for interest rates are likely to be higher going forward. And currently, the economy is growing at above trend growth of about two percent historically. And what everyone's arguing about right now is what is that neutral rate where it's no, it's not restrictive, but it's also not stimulative to the economy as a whole. Now, if borrowing and spending are strong and inflation pressures rising, neutral may be above the current interest rate. That's kind of what has happened so far, you could say, over the past year, although I guess inflation's ebbing. But if Inflation's weak and growth is weak. Neutral might be lower. So I think that's the question is where, where will growth be in the medium term? And where will inflation be in the medium term? 
There's a lot of distortions still from the COVID pandemic that has changed a lot of things that's still kind of up in the air. And one of the reasons why the Fed raised rates so dramatically was try to get to what they thought might have been uh, neutral to slightly restrictive. Now, the median estimate by Fed officials now is that the neutral rate will be four, was 4.25% in 2012, but 2.5% in 2019. And if you subtract out their 2% target, what we call R star is 0.5%. That's the real neutral rate, 0.5%. But a lot of questions, a lot of analysts and economists are questioning that. And the main reason, there, there are three main reasons. Now, the first one is that the, the economy is growing well because or the, the the idea that the economy is growing well with 5% interest rates is one one piece of evidence shall we say that we are that the neutral rate is higher the second is governments are spending money and a lot of money is going towards green, clean energy and that increases the demand for products and services And the third is that retirees in industrial economies have been saving for many years and now they're retiring and they're going to start spending and they're not working. So ultimately, that's going to mean a higher level of net spending in the economy and less savings, less capital out there. So interest rates will naturally rise. So that's what this is all about. What is that R, R star where it's not stimulative, but it's also not restrictive. And it's more likely not 0.5 anymore. It's probably closer to 2 to 3%. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And be sure to check out our latest Invest Talk Classroom episode, Streaming now for free over on YouTube. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.